like to give everybody out there listening a very warm White Cat welcome because you're tuned in to the White Cat Outdoors podcast. What's going on, everybody? It's like uh, day, I think, 10,000 of quarantine because of Corona. Nick's feeling it. Uh, he's in the studio today. I'm white. Tommy's sitting right over there, too. He's here. Hey, everybody. How's it going, everybody? We're day drinking. Yeah. It is it is midday, but when you're on quarantine, you can pretty much do whatever you want. It's pretty delightful. <laughs> no rules on quarantine. Mm. Definitely no doubt about that. You can pretty much do whatever you want all day long, because most of us don't have to go to work. Um, but we're here grinding it out for you. Yeah. We're, we're risking our lives. We are six feet apart. Don't worry about that. Yeah. Social distancing. Absolutely. Make sure you're practicing it. And um, I guess uh, it's springtime, right, guys? Yeah, it definitely is. Weather's getting warmer. Birds chirping. It is getting I knew it was getting warm because Nick rolled up in the jimmy with the tube doors. And yeah, it was pretty wild. He was pretty bundled up, hood up with the vest on, but it, it's it's that time of year, though. It's getting there. And the hounds got their first uh, rabbit of the year, so you know that those are oh. starting to come around. Oh, yeah. Not that uh, we wanted them to. They just sometimes get out there and get it done. Sometimes. So what else comes with springtime? Turkey hunting. Yeah. Jellyheads. That's what we like. Swamp roosters. Whatever you call them. Thunder that's chicken. What, that's what we're talking about today. Um, pretty much, I'm going to let Nick and Tom pretty much run the show here today because they're, they're more, of the, more of the turkey guys than me. I mean, I do plenty of turkey hunting, but not near as much as them. So I guess I'll just give it over to you, T. Take it over. Right, like White said, today we are going to talk turkey. And the first thing that I think of when I hear turkey hunting is that, that gobble on the roost. And I tell you what, guys, it gets me fired up. There's really there's really nothing like hearing a gobble on the roost in the early morning before the sun comes up. Whole woods can hear it. It's fantastic. But today we're going to go over some little tips tricks and tactics for turkey hunting a lot of teas there a little alliteration yeah, yeah. tom turkey ticks tactics and tricks yeah Got that. That. <laughs> it's a tongue twister so today is what guys we're episode 15 it is episode 15 but i don't think he was asking that I think no you want to know i'm thinking time. we're recording here april 2nd ish right yeah. you guys are going to hear it you know a few days later but now is the time of year where you got to start doing your scouting. Yeah, find so your birds. You got to find your birds. And the way I like to go about finding the birds is find a field, okay? That's 90% of the time those birds, they fly down off the roost. They're going to strut in the woods for a while and come out into the field. So they're going to follow the hens out there. And if for scouting, if you plant yourself... In a big open field, you know, maybe there's a big ravine behind it or some hemlocks where you feel it's a good spot for those birds to roost. Odds are those birds are going to come out there in the morning. And if you're in that field, you're not going to be too close to them where you're going to blow them out of the roost before the season starts. Which Yeah, you'll just be able to hear them and locate them. Yeah, you don't want to blow them out. You know, you got to act like you're not even there. So, actually, two days ago, me and my brother went up to... Yesterday. Yep, Yesterday. Me and my brother went up to our farm up there in Clymer, New York, and we did some locating. We sat on the field edge, and we heard just a few gobbles off in the distance, probably about 300 yards off this hillside, and, you know, watched a couple hens come out, 
but kind of unproductive morning. It's still, it's never too early to start your turkey hunting season, but it's definitely well, too, too, early too early to, to start, start your turkey season. Turkey scouting. Yeah. Thank you. Tony. The hunting yeah. part, you, it's wait definitely for, too early for that. Yeah, you can wait, go find them. Well, wait, different states, but if you're talking New York here, Tom, I think you're a little yeah. early. Wait, wait for the season to start. But anyway, so you get yourself positioned on a field, wait for them to come out, and you want to take note of where they come out because turkeys are very patternable, patternable animals, and you know if they come out in that section of the field, odds are they're going to do it again the next day. Except if you set up to hunt them there. Yeah, then then they just go do whatever the hell they want. Yeah, they're kind of funky like that. But a good starting point <laughs> is, you know. Where you saw them. Where you saw them come out. So, you know, a couple weeks. Set on be- sign, that's what I always say. Absolutely. So a couple weeks before the season, you know, you're out there scouting. You watch these birds come out there two or three days in a row. You take note of that. And then come opening day, what you're going to want to do is set up, you know, 30 yards from said spot. And in a situation like this, when I'm not trying to call the birds, I'm just trying to hunt their pattern, I won't call on the roost, or I won't call once they hit the ground. It's tough. It's it's really you tough. Call, you don't call, period? No. You're just, just listening. Let I them do. do their natural thing. So while we're talking about setups and everything, I know you and I have different tactics when it comes to setup using decoys and whatnot. I know you're big on decoys, and I'm not. Are you so talking you, for hunting or for scouting? For hunting, because he was talking now about, you know, now that you've figured out where they're at, where you're setting up to hunt 30 yards away from them. Yeah. Do you want to talk about how you use decoys to your advantage, and then maybe I can dip into why I don't use decoys? So the only time I, I really like using decoys is in this situation where I've scouted the birds, I've watched where they're coming out in the morning, and then I go set up on that field edge. And what I like to do is I like to put, you know, three or four hen decoys and you know just they have different positions um like feeding hen just something you know where they're not alert where they're kind of just grazing they feel safe doing what they're doing and then i like to put one jake decoy because that when a big gobbler comes out and he sees a jake with all of his hens he's going to get angry and he's going to come in there and try and ruffle some tail feathers so it's a good uh way to get them to come in right to your decoys you know 20 25 yards in front of you um most of the time you're going to get some strutting action out of that which it's always cool to see a big mature tom and full strut so that's when i like to use decoys in the woods maybe i'll put out one hen decoy you know 35 yards in front of me just to try and get that hung up gobbler to come in but nick won't you go ahead and try and Talk about the advantages of no decoy. So for me, I don't like using decoys. I haven't had a ton of luck with them, so I've developed my own tactics. And basically, I try and one, I don't hunt a two like I don't hunt field edges for birds much. I try and stick inside the woods, um, but I try to use terrain features um, to draw the birds to me. I try and sit in places that hide me from where the birds probably going to come from. So if you find those little saddles. Um, or like deep cuts like on a ravine side that you can kind of tuck yourself below so they have to get in range to see where that sound's coming from. Um, and another one that I really like is, you know, sitting at the top of a, of a ravine about 15 yards from where it drops. And this one, it takes a little bit of, um, 
you got to be quick because then birds, what happens is they come up over that hill and as soon as they get to the top, they're going to scan. If they can't see it, if they can't see a hen, they're just going to go right back down. I've watched it happen many times. But if you put yourself in a, in range, you can kill that bird as soon as his head pops, pops over the top. Um, and I've seen that work before. And like I said, just using the terrain to your advantage and keeping your keeping out of sight of where the bird's at. So he has to come in range to see where that sound's coming from. Mm-hmm. And like what you were saying, how they pop up and come right back down. A lot of people don't realize that when you're turkey hunting, it's not natural for the gobbler to go to the hen. The way turkeys actually work is, you know, the gobblers are gobbling and they bring the hens to them. So when you're trying to get the bird to come to you, you're already throwing their routine out of sync. So that's why when if they don't see something right away, that's why they like to hang up and stuff because they're waiting for the hen to come to them. So if you're not in range as soon as possible, you'll lose their interest really fast. Right. So, I mean, decoy, they can definitely help you, but I've also, I've had them hurt you too. Um, you know, you turkeys, they people, physically or emotionally, both turkey hunting both. <laughs> is hunt me, hurt me physically and emotion more emotionally than anything. But you know, that we, hurts more though. Yeah, it does. It cuts deep. It's a longer lasting scar. Yeah. Actually a little quick sidetrack here. The biggest emotional hurt I've ever had from turkey hunting. I was up at our farm in Clymer, New York with my brother, Nick. I already know. I know where this is it, going. It, I would be heartbroken still if this happened to me. You know and what? We're just going to, we're going to give both sides of the story here. No, no, going, no, 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 no. This is a different story. This is a different story. Really? I know what, I know what you're thinking. We're going to get to that one later. All right. When we're talking about calling tactics. Okay. Mm, all right. Okay, yep. I like where you're going. I so, feel like you're already setting it up for yourself though. We just need to give two unbiased sides of the story. We'll let the listeners decide. They can decide in a little while. I know. What's this story? Yeah, I don't know this if is I know a, what this is. This is a total is. different story. So me and Nick were up there, hunted hard all morning. And you know how it goes. Well, maybe you don't know if you're not a turkey hunter. But for those of you that don't turkey hunt, a lot of the times, you know, action's hot until about 8 in the morning. And then those gobblers, they get paired up with their hens, and they will not leave them, you know. Trying to call a gobbler from a hen is, it's very challenging. Not to say that it's impossible, but it gets a lot harder. But so a lot of times from 8 o'clock till about 10 o'clock, it action slows right down. And about 10 o'clock, those hens peel off the gobblers and go lay an egg or sit on their nest or whatever. And those gobblers, they're back looking for hens again. So around 10 o'clock, usually things get fired back up. So, you know, me and Nick were hunting, hunt till about 8 o'clock, go to the local diner, grab a quick breakfast, and then back in the woods about 9.30. And sure enough, Nick was actually doing the calling this time. And we sat down on the bottom of this hill, and Nick lets out a few yelps and gobbler hammers back and we're like oh man getting excited and every time you do a hen call and a gobbler hammers back you are in your mind 100% certain that bird is running in and it's going to come right to the barrel of your gun absolutely that's what they all do I've had that thought every time (laughs) every time one hammers back you're like yep got him here he is any second now but as it turns out 
that's really not always the case. They get hung up at 60 yards or whatever. And yeah, it's almost never the case. Do their strut circles and then walk out of your life. But this particular time, this bird did come literally running down the hill right to me and Nick. And he's coming down the hill. You can see his big long rope swinging as he's running, and I'm getting pumped. Because this is the first time that I've visually seen a turkey actually running to a call. And he gets to about 40 yards, which is well within my range. And I put the bead on him, give the squeeze on the trigger, and the gun clicks. And I was heartbroken. Gobbler starts looking around. He hears that click. Apparently they have pretty keen senses. Yeah, he didn't like it, and he took off up the hill and ran out of my life. And that was the most heartbroken I've ever been turkey hunting. Well, that was your first opportunity to big longbeard, too, I think. No, I've had more. Oh, that's that's right. You have. But that was like, I guess, that was just the so close, but yeah, the no whole cigar. scenario was. Yeah. 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 I mean, that was a big There's bird. been a, multiple, multiple times where, you know, I've had a longbeard just outside of range or in range, but behind a tree or something where I just couldn't get the job done. But. This time in particular, he was in range, in the open. I pulled the trigger, and my gun malfunctioned and didn't go off. And this was, this was a bird for the books. He had a, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> solid four and a half inch. Bird. No, this thing. No, it was big. It was it, probably right in that ten range. It was a yeah, big bird, and it it looked like a gosh darn beer bottle swinging from his neck. Nice. But yeah, so that was that was a heartbreaker. Um, set my gun back after that. <laughs> and they gave it a tune-up, and I tell you what, it it makes jelly heads now. Flat out lays them down. Yeah, she's she's a turkey killing machine. But anyway, um, where was I before? I got sidetracked on this heartbreak story, talking about field edges and whatnot. Uh, right, we, I know where I was going. Tom's on it. Decoy usage. Yeah, you're talking about how I like to use. Oh, them. and it's hurt you, and that's you were getting into how decoys have hurt you. And I asked physically or emotionally. That's where that all started. So you got to tell us how decoys have hurt you in the past while turkey hunting. So, yeah, there's, you know, no mist- like question that turkeys are smart. So a lot of the times I've had them, you know, come in to 55 yards or whatever, and they see my decoy, and then they just start strutting. And they know that that hen is supposed to come to me. I see the hen. So I'm just going to strut out here and wait for her to come in. Well, that, you know, decoy you got on a stick, obviously, is not going to go into that gobbler. So they figure out real quick that... Something is amiss. Yeah. And, you know, then they back away. So I think in that aspect, it could be your advantage to not have a decoy. That way they don't see the hen and they have to come looking for it. Another thing about decoys is most of the land I hunt, is private land so you have to be careful on public land because i've heard stories of people even though stalking a turkey is illegal if someone sees a gobbler out in a field a lot of times people will try and stalk that gobbler and not realizing that it's your decoy and you're sitting behind it Mm -hmm. so i've actually heard stories of you know people shooting a decoy that they thought was a gobbler so just if you're on public land where you know you're going to be running into other people i wouldn't recommend using a decoy but Mm. 
and be extra careful when you're about to shoot something. Make sure it's not a decoy. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how you shoot a decoy. Like, Yeah, I don't know. Turkeys don't sit still. No, like, they're always head bob and move. They're doing something all yeah, the Scratching time. the ground or something. They're doing yeah. something. I've never seen a turkey just stand and not at least move its head. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, they're not like deer when they're trying to figure something out. They don't lock up and just stare for 10 minutes. They yeah. are always moving and trying to see something yeah. else, or if they can't figure it out, they're gone. Yeah, like even, a, even a, when they're strutting, they're just circling. Like they don't just stand in one spot while they strut, they're still moving around. Yeah. So, you know, if so, back to, you know, the field edge, you got, you're sitting there, you got your decoys out in front of you, a couple hens, a gobbler. You think these birds are just going to come out right into your lap. And a lot of the times when you're set up on them, they decide that, you know what, this this day we're going to come out like 60 yards down from where we normally do. And then they come out into the field like always, but just not in the same spot. And then you watch them, you know, 80 yards do their thing. And it's a heartbreaker because you're like, they came out here six days in a row. I set up here. Why did they move down? So... That happens a lot. So then what I like to do is just wait and wait for them to go back into the woods because turkey, they have great eyesight. So if they're out in the field and you get up and move, they're going to see you. Yeah, there's no making a move on a turkey. Yeah, so you got to wait for them to get back into the field or back into the woods. And then that's when I like to make my move. Then that's when I move into the woods. And this is where... I think the most fun turkey hunting comes into play. I've had really good luck sitting on a field edge and just watching them do their normal pattern without calling. You see, that's where why I stay in the woods is I'm, I get impatient. I like to make things happen instead of just wait them out on a field edge. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a very it's a good tactic. It's worked for me, but it's definitely more exciting to go in the woods and try and call them in. So another thing about the woods is you cut their eyesight down. Like when you're talking about, you know, them seeing the decoy from 80 yards and then they hang up. If you're in the woods, they can only see so far because of the trees and brush and stuff. Even shadows and stuff can throw off anybody's eyesight. Exactly. So it forces them to come. Even if you are using decoys in the woods, it forces them to be closer by the time they see them as opposed to being out in a field. Right, so actually, let me backtrack just just a little bit. I don't do this setup where I sit on the field edge every single time I go turkey hunting. If a lot of times those birds don't come out into the field until ten, eleven o'clock, so I'm not gonna, you know, if I've seen the birds out in the field at ten o'clock, I'm not gonna get there first light and waste wait six hours. Yeah, I'm gonna set up in the woods close to where they roost. And, you know, try and call them in. But we'll get to that strategy a little bit later. We're still on the, the field edge strategy. So those birds come out of the, go out of the field, back into the woods. I give them, you know, 15, 20 minutes to get far enough from the field edge. And that's when I make my move into the woods. I kind of try and circle down close to where they were at. And the first thing I like to do is just a yelp like a locator yelp try and get that bird to gobble and so when you say locator yelp you want to like what exactly do you mean by that so when a hen could you demonstrate it please i don't know we're not demonstrating (laughs) no 
probably you guys probably just describe that into a mic. No, just describe like what you mean by a locator yelp. So basically, when a hen is by herself looking for another bird, she will make a series of loud yelps. I guess. Well, I mean, pe- most people understand what like a yelp is, but I feel like people that are um, new to turkey hunting don't realize that there's several types of yelps. Right. So the locator yelp is it's the loudest of the yelps. It's more like a long, drawn-out yelp. Yeah, kind of like a... And we're doing it. <laughs> I thought you said you weren't doing it. Huh? Oh, my God, we're going. Yeah, but... There's only so much explaining you can do without the actual sound. Yeah. But I don't have a call-in. That's kind of just... Like, that's more of the cadence. That's his best he could do, actually. That's no. all he sounds like in the woods, too. No, that's, that's the <laughs> cadence, not the actual sound, but you get the idea. And a lot of times, birds will answer back to that. So you got a bird to answer back, and now you got to be like, okay, now I got to give this bird a reason to come in. So then you got to get a little excited, you know, maybe do a little cutting, maybe a little cackling, some excited hen yelps, which same sound as a locator yelp, but it's a lot faster. So, you know, you do a couple excited hen yelps and then mix that in with a little bit of cutting. I tell you what, Tom, it, it not not everybody's heard Tom call turkeys, but I get excited when Tom starts cackling and doing them quick yelps. It, it's it's a sight to behold. Yeah, we're Nick doesn't know how we feel about it, but I'm just gonna say it right now. We are gonna do a turkey calling video. So no, I agree that we could do a turkey calling video. I just said that we're backed up on footage right now. Don't worry, I got you guys. I'll get it done before turkey season. You'll have a demo on locator yelps, excited hen yelps. Cuts, cackles, purrs, clucks. The whole nine. Gobbles. No. (laughs) (laughs) I don't recommend gobbling in the woods because if there's another turkey hunter around, odds are they're going to try and come into your gobble. Yeah. Which. Tom, have you ever had another hunter approach you while you were calling in the woods? Yeah, I have. I was actually back behind my house. And. This is a really good story. You're going to want to tune in. So. I start calling, and I hear this bird goblin, and he's pretty far away. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to try and close my range just a little bit. So as I'm closing my range, I see this guy sitting at the base of the tree, and he starts waving his hands. So I sneak over to him, and he goes, hey, was that you calling back there? And I was like, yeah, why? He's like, that was really good. You mind sitting down calling for me? See if you can get that bird to come in? (laughs) I guess. So I sit down behind him and call again, and the bird hammers back. And, you know, he comes in about 20 yards, and I don't know. Like, I could have shot this bird, and I was behind him. And I don't know what he was doing. He had his gun up and everything, and he just let him go. Yeah, I was kind of confused, but. Anyway, I called the bird in for the guy. The rest is on him. What, what was it? Did you talk? I'm assuming you talked to him right no, He after. walked the other way, never said another word. Yeah. So pissed off, <laughs> got up and left. Yeah. No, he. I go down to him. He's like, did you see that bird? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I was waiting for yeah, you Yeah, it shoot. was like 25 yards in front of you. Like, what happened? He's like, oh, I got a single shot 20 gauge. I just wanted to make sure I had the right shot. I'm like. What were you Twenty-five yards now how to do it. That's prime shot there. Any buddy. closer, you're gonna hit him with the wad. But anyway, so you know, you get him to answer back with some excited hen yelps, and 
if you can hear that that bird is gobbling and getting closer, then I like to shut up. Yeah, just I'm all about that. Quiet. That bird, he's gonna if he's started to come in, he's gonna commit. He's gonna come in. Yeah, they know where that call's coming from. They're gonna yeah. come investigate. If they've you know closed a hundred yards, they're still coming. Yeah, I know. In it's tough because you know that bird. He's gonna be gobbling his head off, and you just gotta sit there quiet. I know it's so cool, like when you call and he hammers back, but it pays to resist that urge. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, especially here in Pennsylvania, with all the hunting pressure that we have, our turkeys are so used to hearing calls so if you do really small things wrong you can really ruin those birds right for they're not going to come in then so if you know that that bird is closed you know 50 yards 100 yards that's when you're going to hang tight and i wish i would have learned this trick earlier but i didn't and i think it could it, it it definitely helped a lot of times you'll sit there for 20 minutes and you're like, where is that bird? Why did he stop gobbling? And you think he left or whatever. So you're like, oh, maybe I'll just get a little bit closer and try and call again. Well, I've tried that trick a lot of times. And a lot of the times I'll get up and walk 50 yards. And that gobbler was there. And now I just spooked him and he took off running. Mm-hmm. So even though he's quiet and not coming in, he's still there. He knows exactly where that hen call was coming from. You just got to be patient and wait. So, you know, you sit there, you wait, and then 20 minutes, half hour, even an hour goes by, and now you see the bird come out behind a tree, and he's 80 yards away, and you're getting excited. A lot of the time, he's going to come into about 60 yards, and that's when, you know, he knows that hen's in, that hen can probably see him so he'll start his strut circles and try and get that hen to commit the rest of the way to him and a lot of people they see that gobbler and they think oh i need to get super excited here and get him to come in the rest of the way but that's not how turkeys normally function so what you're going to want to do is you know some soft yelps some clucks some purrs a lot of feeding calls to try and get that turkey to come in, you know, that extra 20 yards that you need to get them to 40 yards so you can seal the deal on them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that doesn't, I mean, turkey hunting is one of those things where it's, you're never going to get the same experience twice. What are you, what are you doing? Just, just a little smoke break. So we're having a smoke break? Yeah, we're just going to do a quick one. I guess we'll have a quick smoke break. Yeah. Uh, Nick, you wanna you wanna yeah. take over here? Yeah, I could do a smoke break. Smoke us up. Yep. Pack your pack, ready to go. So this week's smoke break, we're gonna do in uh, being that we're talking turkey. I'm gonna do a fried turkey that I have perfected. It's delicious. It is delicious. So, I was never a huge fried turkey person until this, and I tell you what, it hits the spot. It's delicious. So what you're gonna do? You're gonna get your turkey. Um, this works for a wild turkey or if you buy a turkey um, in the store. If you get a wild turkey, you're just going to have to spend a lot of time plucking, um, but it is worth it. It's been done. Delicious. A um, few uh, prerequisites, things to talk about before we talk about frying turkeys. One, use caution. If you're not an adult, get one. <laughs> Don't uh, burn your house down. Turkeys are very 
uh, challenging to fry just because it's a heavy piece of meat that you're dropping into there or not dropping you're easily putting in there hold it 10 feet uh, above yeah. and let go so it's going to take a little bit of practice to figure out how much oil to put in there before the bird goes in um i usually just guesstimate that but i just recommend having a big pot and no way of overflow so what you're going to do you're going to do the math first you figure out how many pounds the turkey is and then you multiply that by three and that's going to be the minutes that your turkey is in so if you three had, minutes per pound yeah exactly so if you had a five pound turkey which is pretty small i think that's a chicken yeah, <laughs> yeah. okay let's say why don't tw- you make it 20 a turkey pound. weight go 20 pound turkey that's a big turkey that's probably store-bought but uh you do 20 times three that's an hour it's going to be down there and how did you get that 20 times three is 60 yeah right so 60 minutes 60 or minutes. one hour good job Tom. thank you um make sure your oil is at 350 degrees I like to get my oil up to about 370 before the turkey goes in because you're going to cool the oil really fast. And if you go, if you get it right to 350, drop the turkey in, it's going to get greasy. I wasn't, I'm sorry, I wasn't really paying attention at the beginning of this. Did you say what kind of oil you use? I use peanut or frying oil. Uh, I stick away from the vegetable oil because I think vegetable oil like self-ignites between 375 and 400. You don't want that. It's just a mess. So, I've seen it happen. <laughs> seen it a hundred <laughs> times. So peanut oil, frying oil. And the last thing is you got to make sure that the turkey's internal temperature is 180 degrees. That's so you know it's done, done. safe and ready for everybody to eat. But so now that we got all the safety things out of the way, let's talk about how we're going to prepare that bird. And how I like to do it is a little Frank's Red Hot. You get your injector and you pump tons of Frank's Red Hot into that turkey. Like, like, a, like a bottle's worth? Uh, I mean, probably about a half bottle if you get like the standard bottle do you mix anything with nope, it that is just it straight frank yep, red just hot. boom just keep injecting you know if you got same spot different spots around different the spots all over the place into the legs into the breasts i don't think the same everywhere. spot would distribute the flavor much well maybe there's people that you know they put that shit turkey. on everything there you yeah, go <laughs> that's exactly it i love frank's red hot um and then the outside that kind of depends on what i'm doing you know sometimes i'm feeling like i want to do a little bit of cajun on the outside Sometimes I'm like maybe a little bit of mustard. I know that sounds crazy, but you put a little mustard or something, and like French is yellow. Yep, yeah, something like that or Dijon. It puts a nice crust on the outside, kind of like as it like a batter almost, if you will. Um, I started getting away from dry rubs while I'm frying because most of it just gets into the oil. It doesn't really add much flavor, and you end up just ruining the oil prematurely. But like I said, get your bird all prepped. You slowly get it into the oil, and you've done your math. You don't want to just drop it right oh, in. Oh, heck no. And make sure – oh, this is another big safety feature. Make sure that bird is totally thawed. Do not drop a frozen turkey in oil. Bad things. Bad things all over. And wear gloves while you're dropping the turkey in because grease is going to splatter batter everywhere. Yeah. And they actually – if you're interested in doing a fried turkey, they actually make little kits – um, and it's basically like a hook that goes inside the turkey and then basically a strong coat hanger to help drop it in there. keeps your hands away from it. Um, but a fried turkey is absolutely delicious. It puts an extra little spin. I did one for Thanksgiving um, this year. Thanks, Gremmins. Yeah, Maybe it was delicious. Gremmins. So I, especially in quarantine, you know, mom's probably cooking like crazy like mine is and running out of ideas so this is something maybe you could throw at her or not throw it at her but suggest maybe yeah, i wouldn't want to throw a turkey at mom i don't yeah. think she'd appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> suggest you know maybe a fried turkey 
maybe help her with it. Uh, be a little good bonding time. But uh, that's this week's smoke break, and I uh, hope you guys try it because it is delicious. Right on. So uh, I guess we'll just get right back to Tom. What were you talking about? You probably forgot again. No. Bunch of nothing. No. Yeah, a bunch of useless crap. Don't even. <laughs> no, I was talking about how I've been on hundreds and hundreds of turkey hunts, and I don't think one has ever been the same as the other. No, definitely yeah. not. Yeah, every time you go out, it's a different experience. It's always a learning experience. So, I mean, it's not going to happen one way every single time. But I'll just give you, you know, the perfect scenario for that will, will never, never happen. happen. <laughs> that, you know, each of my different tactics that I try would work out in my mind. But a lot of times, obviously, it doesn't work out like that. And you have to just learn new things on the way. So start with the field edge. You scouted your birds. You know where they come out. You set up 30 yards from there with your decoys and like clockwork, they come right out, strut in front of your decoys, and you lay one down. And done deal. That's all there is to it. Odds are it doesn't work out like that, so you're going to have to try something new. And, and you will learn something new every time you go out. Yeah. And then if I'm not hunting a field edge and I'm hunting the roost, actually, let's talk about a good place to find the birds where they're roosted. So birds, a lot of time, if you got a big ravine, they're going to roost on the ravine. If you have hemlocks, they love roosting in hemlocks. I have not seen that personally. Seriously? Mm-mm. No, they're typically more, for me, open trees, um, easier to fly in and out of. Are they near hemlocks? I would say they're near hemlocks, but I personally, I mean, I could, just because I haven't seen this doesn't mean it doesn't happen, or Tom hasn't it seen happens. it. It happens. Um, <laughs> but for me, I have not really seen birds roosting in hemlocks, just because, I, I guess, my thought is... Have you is, ever, like, scouted in the hemlocks? Don't have to. No, I know what Nick's saying, though, because I've seen... And it kind of goes with both of you. I tend to see uh, more like oaks and stuff on the edges of ravines or okay. maples, something that's more open. But that, like I said, that's just in my experience. And I've always – my deer hunting and turkey hunting tactics are different from Tom, so I'm not really necessarily looking in the same place as he is. Yeah. And, but like what I was saying with both of you, I see, like you said, with them flying in and out, it's easier to get out of hardwoods. And But I see a lot of them in hemlocks – not like actually in a hemlock tree, but there'll be a hardwood tree mixed in with a ton of hemlocks. They'll be in that hardwood. That's you know something that I have noticed in certain places. I have seen them in hemlocks too, you know, a lot. But so I, definitely a place to start you is gotta, hemlocks. Yeah, you got to know your property too. Yeah, I mean, because if you don't have hemlocks, obviously yeah, they're not going to be on hemlocks. hemlocks. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the best place to find them roosting is you know in a big hardwood tree with some branches that come way out along the edge of a ravine. The reason for that is, you know, they, it's easier for them to fly down when they can fly into the side of a ravine. It's not as steep of a drop form. They're not going straight down. They can come in, come down at an angle. Yeah. They could be 40 feet up in the, from the base of the tree, but they only have to go down 20 feet to get to where they're going. Yeah. So, you know, you scout your property, you find a big ravine that's got some big hardwoods on it that look like 
you know, some turkeys could go roost there. So then you go to those trees and you look for turkey feathers, turkey droppings, you know, all that kind of turkey sign scratches. A scratch for you guys that out there that don't turkey hunt is where a bird will literally scratch the ground, remove the leaves and look for bugs and stuff in the soil to eat. So it's, it looks very similar to like a scrape in the archery woods, but you know, there's no licking branch or anything. It's not always. Yeah, it'll be out right. in the open. It'll be like yeah. a bigger area. Yeah, so they'll scratch, scratch the leaves away, eat some worms, eat some grubs and whatnot. So, you you got your idea of where those birds are at, where they're roosting, and well, now that we know where to find them, what like what kind of calls do you like? Not like sounds, but like specific calls do you use? Like mouth call, fox call, pot we'll, calls. We'll get there. We're still on the. Uh, picture perfect hunt. Oh, you're still talking picture yeah, perfect. Yeah, it'll never happen. Yeah. So, not that it'll never happen. Don't expect it to happen every single time you go out because it has worked like clockwork for me. Before. You got Trevor his first turkey. That was a clockwork deal on his first ever sit. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah, I told him I was like, don't expect this every time. <laughs> <laughs> but so you find out where the birds are roosting. If you can't find the time to get in there and scout it out find the feathers find the droppings and everything you can also you know just go out there in the evening right before dark and a lot of times they'll gobble on the roost before the sun sets and you can kind of get an idea like okay those birds are 200 yards away in this direction so you know where the birds are roosting you're not hunting a field edge you're going in to hunt the roost I don't like to crowd the roost I don't want to blow them out I have done that just trying to get just a little bit closer and always want to be a little closer. Yeah, and then the birds, you hear it sounds like helicopters taking off. You kick three or four birds out of the roost, and you're like, oh, crap, this hunt. It's all bad. <laughs> yeah, so I like to stay about 100 yards from where the birds are roosting. And naturally, in the turkey world, this is how it works. The hens will call on the roost. Gobblers will gobble back. You know, this will go on for a while, and then the hens fly down to the gobbler. So if you're sitting there, you know, 100 yards from all the action and you're starting to call and those birds are hammering back and I've, I've done it, it's a lot of fun because <laughs> on the roost they gobble like crazy. So, you know, they'll gobble, you'll call, they hammer back. So you're like, oh, I got to call again. You call again, they hammer back and you got yourself convinced that that bird is going to fly down into your lap. But what is actually going on in that bird's mind is – okay, this hen knows where I'm at. She's going to fly down and come to me. And hens typically fly down before the gobblers because the gobblers like to see the hens fly down. And once they see that that hen is near the base of their tree, that's when they fly down and they pair up with their hen, you know, is basically as soon as they hit the ground. So the best way to go about the roost hunt is you sit down, you just let the birds do their natural thing and you know you let them gobble you let them fly down you don't call until they fly down and then if there's a bird still gobbling odds are he's not paired up with a hen yet he he's the one that missed out on that boat and now he's looking for a hen and then you have a good opportunity to call that bird in so that's when I typically like to start calling on the roost or on a roost setup. And so that bird hits the ground. He's still gobbling for a while. So then, 
you you don't need to locate that bird. You know where he is. So you can just get into some excited hen yelp, some cutting, some cackling, or whatever. And if all works out, he's going to come in on a string, and you know he's going to be right in your lap. But it doesn't always. It has worked out like that. It doesn't always work out like that. A lot of times. With, I thought you were talking about the perfect hunt here, so it should always happen. Yeah, in the perfect setup, that's how it should go. You sit down, you hear the birds on the roost, they fly down, a couple birds still gobble, you call them in, done deal before 7 o'clock. But, like I said, that doesn't always happen, so you're going to have to you know, mix in some different tricks and tactics. A lot of times what does happen is, I've had it happen to me hundreds of times, where you're calling to a bird, he's coming in, and all of a sudden, here comes a real hen. And she starts calling and intercepts you. And you could be... Women turkeys just don't respect other women turkeys, I tell you what. No, sure they don't. don't. They just try and steal the show. They, yeah, they... Watch, watch your mans. Watch your They're man. out there. Those are ghetto turkeys out there. They steal your man without even thinking about it. Yeah. That's a fact. Yeah. So, a lot of times what will happen is... You'll be calling to a bird, he's coming in, and then you get intercepted by a real hen, and they have the ability to walk right up to that gobbler. So it's very difficult to call that bird away from the gobbler, but a trick you can do is you stop calling to the gobbler and start calling to the hen. That happened to you and I one time up in New York, and we we had this gobbler coming in on a string and got intercepted, and this hen was pissed off and tom started hammering at her and tom could not start calling and she would just come up twice as loud just trying to overpower everything that tom was doing to get that gobbler's attention it was so funny and it was an awesome experience in the woods just sitting there listening to him even though we didn't end up getting the bird that was one of the the most fun turkey hunts i was ever on just because it was a blast all the interactions between the turkeys but so when you're calling to the hen the best thing you can do is she'll call, and then you hammer back and try and mimic exactly what she did. And what you're trying to do is kind of piss her off a little bit. And if you can get her to come into you, then odds are that gobbler is going to be following her. Everybody likes a good chick fight. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Good gobblers. <laughs> yeah, he's going to come in and watch. But so that's, you know another way to go about it but now that we've talked about you know the two scenarios of like field edge perfect deal and the roost perfect deal now i think it would be appropriate to get into when it doesn't go perfect because that is actually i thought we've kind of already talked that's kind of like wrapped into yeah different tactics and yeah getting how to use it by hands i think we wanted to get in more towards like the different types of calls and uh because I mean, we could, you could go on for days about. I just want to hit. Pro- I mean, we got. I just want to hit the big ones real quick. All right, run us through the big ones then, Tommy. So, some some tricks and tactics to persuade the gobbler to come in when everything doesn't work perfect. We'll just go over a couple. Um, the two hunter approach. Well, it's actually a one caller, one hunter approach because what you're going to want to do. The two player swing. Yeah, is you'll have one guy that's, you know, he's got the gun. Well, both people typically have a gun, but one person has, you know, what said, look, I want you to get this bird. I want you to shoot the bird. So he's going to go up 
40 yards in front of the caller. And that caller is going to come to the bird, or that caller is going to call to the bird. And when that bird comes in and hangs up 60 yards from the caller, well, he's only 40 yards from the guy with the gun. 20. That would only be 20. So. 20. Yeah, sorry. He's yeah. into shapes, not math, boys. We've said it a yeah. hundred times. So it still holds yeah, true. Yeah, you got the hunter, and 40 yards behind him is your caller. Bird comes in 60 yards from the caller, 20 yards from the shooter. That's a go. great way to close the gap. Kill that hung up gobbler. Another thing you can do is if you're by yourself, you don't have your caller, is to call to a bird. If he comes in, gets hung up at 60 yards, does his strut circles, you wait for that bird to walk away. When he starts walking away, um, start calling again. If he answers back, move back 50 yards and call again. If he answers back, move back another 50 yards and call again. When he stops gobbling, that means he's coming in. So then when you call and he doesn't answer back, that's when you want to move forward about another 50 yards, sit down and shut up. Because that bird's going to come in to where he last heard you calling, but now you're 50 yards closer than that, and he's going to come right into your lap. So keep backing up until that bird stops gobbling because that means he's on his way. Move forward, sit down, and don't make another sound. And we've had that work. And that's really the two biggest tricks, two most effective ones, I think. Hands down, turkey hunting is much easier if you have a hunter and a caller. Definitely. That's definitely the best way to go about it because if you get a bird to answer, you know, three, four times, most of the time in my experience, I've at least seen that bird come into 60 yards and do a strut circles just out of range. So if you got someone to call for you and you can be up ahead of him, that is probably the most effective way to go about it. Mm-hmm, for sure. Now we can get into... Actually, can I get one more beer? Mm-hmm. We're going to get into some different calls here after I after I get another colightful... It's a raspberry lime beer. kind of tastes like sherbet. You're not going to get one of those. Frank's telling me we're all out. That's, <laughs> that's a heartbreaker, guys, I tell you. Um, but while we're, I guess Tom's we're getting his new beer, blue now. Uh, yeah. one thing that's pretty neat is uh, yeah, that's pretty neat. I started making my own mouth calls. So I've been jumping in, mainly using mouth calls. Our uh, other host, White, over there, he uh, builds his own uh, slate calls or friction calls, if you will. They're not box calls. Hot calls. Yeah, yeah, pot friction calls. Call. Yeah. No, yeah, it's pot call because he's done, you know, glass. Friction's and, a very broad category. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, so we, re- in the past year, have all been using homemade calls, um, but they still fit in your general category as we talk about, you know, what ones we're using. Um, I think overall, um, I think for uh, locating birds and stuff, I really like using my slate call or something. Um, like, like either, like I've used aluminum, glass, copper, slate. Mm -hmm. Um, there's, there's, there's waterproof ones that are like more of a stone synthetic crystal. There's a lot of different types of Um, friction surfaces for those pot calls. So when I'm not really worried about a bird being right on top of me, I've found, I like to use my pot calls for that. Um, I tend to get pretty good sound out of them. And well, they, they say basically pot calls are the most accurate to the sound of a turkey 
a box call is your loudest call and a mouth call is your most dynamic call can do the most yeah. things um i have practiced box calls not my thing can't really use it so i i jump right to a pot call and like i said that's what i use for my locator and then once i get a bird that's committed or i'm after um put the pot call away and i start using my mouth call because that way i can if he's close i can still call while being like looking down the barrel of my shotgun and not really create much movement because like at that point um, you're typically going to be doing more like clucks and purrs and you can easily do them without moving too much um, so that's where it becomes really effective if you don't have to tie up both your hands with a pot call so I've, if you're looking into getting into turkey hunting definitely practice up on your diaphragms and mouth calls right for me i i i have a bag of tricks in my turkey vest and it's got you know, three or four different slate calls or sorry pot calls a couple box calls and you know my strikers and sandpaper to scuff the pot calls and what have you but rarely do i break that baby out normally i just stick to the diaphragm calls i know they're not as loud they're actually the quietest of you know your basic turkey calls but turkey have extremely good hearing and you know they're going to hear you from 200 300 yards away no problem that's if there's no leaves on the trees like early turkey season which i think is probably your best bet at getting a bird because they're not wised up to other hunters yet but once those leaves come on the trees then that kind of cuts your distance down quite a bit you know it kind of deadens the woods and sound doesn't really travel through the leaves but anyway um yeah i use mouth calls because you can yelp you can cluck you can purr you can cackle gobble if you're good yeah i can't do that's pretty much the only thing i can't do on the mouth call is gobble i i can you can make them you can make the sound yeah it's it just doesn't sound great you but can call it a gobble a turkey yeah <laughs> i've had birds gobble back to it but that's more uh, that of a might, shot more, gobble. might be more of a shot gobble yeah yeah, just because they answer a crow call doesn't they, doesn't mean they think that was a gobbler. Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah. So I typically use mouth calls just because how diverse they are. But the thing with a mouth call is they definitely require the most practice. Mm-hmm. So a little trick I like to do is keep one in my car and practice on my way to school, on my way to work. Yeah, because if you do it in the grocery. house for long enough, somebody's going to get irritated. Yeah, you're going to piss people off <laughs> if you start calling out. So car and, rides are your best bet. Yeah, you got no one there to judge you when you know, you're just starting out. And you know, my dad always was a pretty good mouth caller, so I'd be calling and squawking and sounding like shit and getting judged by dad. And When you're in your car, there's nobody judging you, so you don't have to worry about that. But and another thing too, even if uh, this is your first year getting out turkey hunting and stuff, turkeys have a pretty short memory. Um, if you blow up a hunt with bad calling or wrong techniques, it doesn't blow up that spot. I mean, I've blown up hunts and then killed that same bird later in that day, just in a different area. So, I mean, I think also just to try and get an idea, get out there and practice in the woods because the biggest thing is the cadence. It's not necessarily the sound. Yeah, every turkey doesn't sound the same. It's the same it's cadence, cadence, like Nick said, yeah. So if you can get the cadence down, which there's 
tons of videos on it. We're going to create a video pretty soon. It's going to be better than anything else on YouTube. So don't even waste your time. I'm thinking I'll ones. be behind the diaphragm. We'll get Nick on a pot call. It's going to be awesome. I can show you a few tricks I got because I do a pretty sweet, you know, excited hen mixing the cut and clucks in with the yelps. You actually won best in show on your clucks and purrs. Yeah, in a nationally sanctioned class. Yeah. Or in a tournament. So, yeah, I guess I could, you know, dabble a little bit on the pot calls. He didn't win the tournament, but he did score the highest in clucks and purrs. Yeah. And uh, there was people coming up to us asking how we did at nationals. Yeah. And we're like, oh, but this is, this is I had my a, first time. I had a homemade slate call in my pocket, and that's how I did that. Yeah, these guys, they were coming <laughs> up with briefcases with like 30 calls in it. And, and using their hand to gesture a bird. That was probably the best part, is watching these guys up there just yelping and just moving their hands. Because the way they go is the judges are behind a curtain. They can't see you. But for whatever reason, if you use your hand... It makes you do better. You have to become the turkey. Yeah. Like they would literally like Speaking of becoming the turkey. Bob their head. Um, and, you know, epiphanies. I guess we weren't talking about epiphanies. But, Tom, you had a pretty good realization a few years back when it comes to calling turkeys. Um, you know, about the difference between, you know. Calling turkeys. Yeah. And so if you want to maybe break into that epiphany you had. And it's probably been. It, you could probably use that as most of your success has come from this epiphany you've had. Absolutely. Absolutely. hundred percent. So I used to go out in the woods and I'd sit there and I'd, you know, I'd turkey call and I just, I wasn't having a lot of success. So then you got to switch your mindset up from turkey calling to calling turkeys. And when you can make that mental switch from turkey calling to calling turkeys. It's a game changer. It is an absolute game changer. You have to become the turkey and call the other turkeys. You can't just go out there and be a human turkey calling. No. You have to call turkeys. And once you make that switch, oh my gosh. Actually, I had this epiphany up at the Morrison farm. We were up there. So it was, Frank, what are you doing? Well, you know, it's it's we've been going for a little while, and like Nick said earlier, everyone's been in quarantine for a while. You know, you're not allowed to go out to eat, so I figured we would throw an extra smoke break in this week, so someone, everyone has something else to try. You know, just another little recipe to smack down on. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You you want me to take the reins on this one? It sounds yeah, like you're excited you? for it, so why yeah, don't you lay sure. it on us? So I'm gonna do smoked turkey breasts. It's another turkey one. I like it. <laughs> turkey season. You know. Calling turkeys, turkey yeah, calling. Yeah, remember that. You don't go out in the woods and turkey call. Go out in the woods and call turkeys. And then when you kill one, this is how you're going to cook it. Yep. Or if you want to buy the bre- – actually, I don't know if you – can you, you buy can just turkey breasts? You can definitely buy breast? turkey breasts. Just yeah. the breast? I just, I've always just seen the whole bird. Tom, why don't you just tell us what the recipe is? Anyway, so what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to start with a brine, okay? And you're going to want to soak this bird. What's a brine? We're going to get there. You want to soak it in the brine. And here's how you're going to want to make the brine. You're going to use a bottle of apple cider. Okay. Put a jug? The, like a gallon or? Enough to cover the breasts. Probably, I mean, the tur- depending on how big the turkey is, probably, yeah. Okay, so you're just submerging them in whatever So you're getting a pan or dish or something, putting the breasts in, yeah, and then you're making. 64 ounces okay. of apple cider. Okay. <laughs> about. 
About 62 and a half ounces. Yeah. Then you're going to want to get, you know, about three quarters of a cup of salt. Mix that in there with half a cup of sugar, quarter cup of apple cider vinegar, and uh, a little bit of garlic. If you like garlic, maybe a garlic bulb. I love garlic. And, uh, yeah, you're just going to let that soak. Probably overnight. I like to put it in the fridge in the evening, about 5 o'clock, and then fire up the smoker the next day, bright and early in the morning. So, after that soaks, what you're going to want to do is prepare your smoker. I like to set it to about 225, 250 degrees. You know, It's quite the range. Not really. 25 degrees. That's, yeah. Some say it's a game changer, but we'll go with it. Yeah, well, that's what you're going to want to do. And after it soaks in the brine, you can rub it down with a dry rub if you want. It's not going to come out in the oil like Nick's stupid recipe. Yeah, maybe uh, Hunt Chef's actually got some pretty good rubs. Yeah, um, check him out. They sure do. Yeah, so good stuff. try those. I know he's got several dry rubs. A couple of them are, I think, turkey takedown. Or no, it's taco takedown. Um, he's got some several different rubs on there. Um, check him out and uh, – Perfect for smoking birds. Yeah, definitely want to use those for smoking. Yeah, so you got your breasts. They've been marinating for 12 hours in that brine. Is it marinate or marinade? Marinier. Marinier. (laughs) I don't think that's right. Let it marinier for about 12 hours. Fire up your smoker, 225, 250 degrees, give or take, you know. And uh, rubber down. I usually like to do like uh, you could do Cajun. Cajun's good. Um, you could do. I try and stick away, steer away from like the steak seasoning. You don't want to put steak seasoning on a on a turkey. But if you got doesn't like check a, out like a sweet smoky, any dry rub really. Well, no, not a steak dry rub. You silly goose. There's not really much of a st- Montreal steak seasoning, Nick. It's steak <clears throat> seasoning, not steak rub. It's the you same. rub it on a steak. <laughs> it's the same no. thing. No. But anyway, like, they have, like, those sweet apple and hickory, you know, whatever. Put a good dry rub on there. And you're going to want to put her in the smoker for roughly three hours. What kind of wood do you like to use? So what I like to use is I like a smoky flavor. I know Nick and Frank, you guys, you like to smoke with apple, but... I like to smoke with like a hickory or a mesquite, get a nice strong smoky flavor. But if it's like smoking a no filter, yeah, pretty much. But um, you guys interrupted me; it just throws me off key. Tom, this right. is literally the first time you've been interrupted this episode. So. I know. No, so I like a smoky flavor, hickory, mesquite. Nick and Frank they like to smoke with apple, but. That's a, a very mild smoke. You won't get a lot of smoky flavor. But if you want some smoke flavor, but you don't want it too smoky, you can alternate. You can put in a little bit of apple, let that burn, a little bit of hickory, let that burn, go back and forth. So you put that in three, three and a half hours until it reaches at 165 degrees is when that is going to be done. So pull that out. And this is the key part right here, guys. What you're going to want to do is wrap them suckers in tin foil for about 10 to 15 minutes. 
and that's going to let all the juices stay locked in there. Because if you pull that out of the smoker and slice right into it, all your juices are going to run out onto your tray, and it you don't want that. You wrap them in tin foil, let it sit for you know 10-15 minutes. Then when you slice that bird open, all the juices are going to be locked in there, and it's just going to be delicious. So soak it in the brine, give it a rub, put it in the smoker, 225 to 250, three and a half-ish hours, 160 degrees, pull it out, wrap it in foil, let it stand 10-15 minutes. You got yourself a bomb-ass turkey breast. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah, they are good. They are good. Thanks for that smoke break, Tom. Yeah. As you were saying, Morrison Farms turkey hunting. Sitting at the table and trying to convince Frank that he's got to come out on this one last hunt. Okay, I had to leave. He was still there when I got back. That's because you. it, it was a very fast hunt. Yeah. Yeah, we could have doubled down. We could have, but I was packing my stuff to leave. Yeah. So, anyway, we're sitting at the table. I'm trying to convince him, and I'm like, Frank, this is the game changer. I'm, I switched over. We I'm, had been hunting this group of birds for two days now. Yeah. And we were getting closer and closer, and I had to leave early. So I was not able to go out on this morning hunt. I tell him, I'm like, Frank, I'm no longer turkey calling. I'm going out there, and I'm going to call these turkeys, and I'm going to call them right in. And he's, I, I got to go. I'm, I'm leaving right now. Whatever. So I go out there, and I call turkeys. I call these four birds right to the gun. Smoke one. Get back to camp. Guess who's still there? Frank. I was literally in the truck pulling out of the driveway, <laughs> taking out fence posts with the truck yeah, as but I was gone. Apparently, you didn't have to get home that quick because we did have a celebratory beer. Well, I at yeah, that point, then, I had to stay. Yeah, yeah well, we could have had celebratory beers on a double. But it would have been better. He had to. I think he said he had to go paint his bedroom closet or something. Like, yeah, probably. Yeah, something really important. You're dumb. Yeah, but yeah. So you you make that switch over, and then it's a game changer. It really is. It's helped me in the long run, in the short run too. Yeah. It's just overall. There's no it, all positives, no negatives really. I feel that. So before we wrap things up here. Uh, we had talked earlier about a scenario of controversy between me and Tom, mm-hmm. turkey hunting. Yeah. So before we, we sure close did. her out, we're going to tell my side, and then Tom's going to tell his side. Why do you side. get to tell yours first? Well, because I'm talking now. And Fair enough. So I'll tell my side without any interruptions. Tom's going to tell his side without any interruptions. And then you guys can let us know who you think, you know, just give us your thoughts. So here we go. Me, Tom. I tell you what, already an already interrupting. <laughs> Holy cow! <laughs> that was that was fa- that was almost record time. <laughs> so you know how this goes. Nick always he posts a picture and updates. New podcast is out. If you think Nick is in the right for this story, leave a comment. If you think I'm right, leave a like. See, that's bias nope, already. Be- that's that's how it's going <laughs> to be. People Nick, just go ahead. like it and don't even bother. Nick, go so, ahead tell your story. That's. If you believe me, leave a like. Already. If you believe Nick, leave a comment. All right, so it's me and my buddy Paul are hunting on one spot. Tom and my cousin Corey are in another. The way this sets up, we're at Climber. Um, there's usually one flock of birds, and I set up in the spot I typically do, just above the creek bed on the bottom of the hill. 
Tom and Corey. Typically, they... this was our first turkey hunt oh up there. I don't want to hear. This is where we typically sit up. No, this was the first time we ever hunted birds up there. I don't know if you remember the whole no interruptions. There were rules at the beginning. Tantalizing the last time. I could make this really hard for you now since you've already burned your last one. So we're set up at the bottom, me and Paul, at the bottom of this hill just above the creek bed. Corey and Tom are about 100 yards back from us and, you know, further down the the edge of the ravine. Like they're like parallel with the ravine. Um, Set up. I'm calling and get some birds answering tom's farther down he's also calling you know to the same birds they're answering them um and then for whatever reason this bird decided to come down off the roost extremely early um i saw the bird running down the hill seen that red head couldn't really tell about much beard size um but like i said we hadn't killed a bird up at this farm yet so i was just in, out there to get a gobbler so as he had gotten straight in line with me it was a pretty far shot, but decided to go for it. Uh, shot a little high and dropped the turkey right where he stood. Um, ran up on him. Found out later it was actually 57 yards. Pretty uh, far shot. But um, got the bird back to the truck. Went and had breakfast nice and early at the Main Street Diner. So that was my story. Interrupted twice, but that was the story. Tom, why don't you give your side of the story? So we had four guys up there, two groups, Nick and buddy Paul, me and my cousin Corey. Nick and Paul decide we're going to set up at the field and watch these birds come out in the morning. And we said, okay, me and Corey are going to set up. So I'm going to use one of my interruptions right here. If you actually thought I was going to the top of the field, I wouldn't have walked in with you at the logging trail. All I'm saying. Me and Corey didn't walk in at the logging trail. Mm. We we walked in through the big field on Pennant no. Road. Mm-mm. Credibility shot. So no. me and Corey walk into the woods through Pettit, through the big field, and get our spot set up. Okay. Nick and Paul say, we're going to go set up on the field and wait for these birds to come out. Bullshit. In the <clears throat> Turns out that's not what they did. They walk down the main... I'm going to interrupt, even though I have nothing to do with this. Nick has done this to me before. He has said he's going one place to me as we walk in together, and then he goes a totally different place and ends up almost right on top of me. So For those of you out there listening, Nick is cheesing ear to ear because he knows They'll never that know. this is true. There's, it's not a video podcast, so... It's, it's what happens. I could be over here frowning. No, so me and Corey, we go in on the field edge... Walk into the woods about 100 yards, set up. Nick and Paul, supposedly, were going to go wait the field edge and wait for them to come out. So if they came up Which the doesn't hill, make any sense because I've already told you how I don't sit field edges for hunting. So even if I did say that— You have that, never once sat a field edge. That is a— Not on my terms. Yeah, right. Yeah, I know not on your terms because you lied to me that morning. Mm, anyway, anyway. That's for the fans anyway, so, decide. Nick and Paul decide last minute, I guess, you know, we're going to cut into the woods here and sit right on the bottom of this ravine. So they are about 100 yards in front of me and 57 yards to my right. That number is going to come into play in a little bit. Yeah, 100 yards in front, 57 to the right. There's a bird. Now, we do know that Tom's not good at math. So, but he's making a triangle, which is a shape. So, mm. 
So there's a bird up on the hillside directly in front of me about 200 yards. And he's gobbling, and I let out some yelps. And he hammers back. And Nick apparently got jealous and was like, I'm going to call to this bird. So Nick would call, and I knew it was Nick calling. He, I can pick Nick out from a crowd of 100 with a turkey call. And as soon as I heard that yelp, I'm like, that's Nick. He snuck in between us. He said he was going up to the field. <laughs> He's right at the bottom of that hill. And so I'm like, son of a bitch. So Nick calls, nothing. I call, hammers back. So Nick tries to get a little fancy, do some excited calling, nothing. I would call, hammers back. 550, actually more like 549, this bird flies. It is still dark out. This bird flies down and starts coming down the hill. I didn't know this until later. I hear a shot go off. And I'm like, no, that must have been Nick. <laughs> and so I go up there, and Nick's standing there with his long beard, and he said, yep, 57 yards, literally running down the hill. I'm like, running right to where? Running right to me. <laughs> and you snuck in between and intercepted it. I'm just going to say one thing. I put myself in a position for the best opportunity to kill a bird. And if that's not what you're supposed to do out there in the woods, I don't know what you're supposed to do out there. Case closed. Remember that little scenario I told you guys about where you have the hunter in the front and then the caller behind you? Nick did that scenario without letting me know. Without the caller knowing. Yeah. He just decided, you know, I'm going to be the hunter. Tom's going to be the caller for me. I'm going <laughs> to intercept these birds on their way down to Tom. So, so let us know what you think. Um, anyway, bottom yeah. line is I was super pumped for Nick. This was a big bird. It was. We were all excited. Hangs above the cabin right now. Yeah, it's actually our, its beard is our chandelier. Yeah, it's pretty nice. But like I said, let us know what you guys think. Who's in the right? Who's in the wrong? And like leave said, it's a like only... if you think I'm in the right. Leave <laughs> a comment if you think Nick's in the go, right. But um, you know, like I said, everybody obviously we're still in quarantine here in Pennsylvania, which is absolutely ridiculous. Um, but the outdoors are never closed, so just make sure you guys are getting outside.